0: Hello, my name is Melly. And you're listening to If I'm Being Completely Honest. following some letters, our readers may self-reflect on the letter or may include resources regarding the topics. You can find the resources in the link in the description of this episode. If you are not following us on social media yet, you can follow us on Instagram at completely.honest.letters and that'll keep you up to date on all the uh, things that are happening on this project.
1: Dearest sister. Hello, my name is Caitlin Turner. <sighs> I hope this letter finds you well. I want you to know An audio you are the most important person to me. Even though I may not say it, I love students. you more than anything else in this universe. No You've been by my side for as long so as I can did. remember. You He's know me better than anyone else. Perhaps better than it. I've ever known myself. Anything we do, we mm-hmm. do it together and the things I share with you, I'd never share with anyone else. Most of all, I know I can be myself around you. Thank you for always being there for me. We don't talk much about our feelings and sometimes I wish we would, but I know you're in a tough spot right now, so I just want you to know, I'll never leave your side. Whatever happens, I'm here for you, too. No questions asked. I am your sister, after all. I wonder how many siblings are this close. I wonder how many wish they were. (laughs) Thanks for being my buddy my guardian, my friend, and my sister. Yours, a grateful sister.
0: This next letter deals with the subject matter of abusive romantic relationships. It is four minutes and 36 seconds if you wish to skip ahead.
2: Dear former sweetheart, I am writing this open letter to you because it's time that I find some closure. And since you are unable to face the things you've done, you force me to make them public. When I married you, I knew that I would spend the rest of my life with you. I loved you with every breath into the depths of my soul. We laughed together until our bellies hurt. We formed a family with you, your son, and me. There was no other place on this earth I would rather be. There was nothing that I would have done for you or our son. I gladly gave you the spotlight and supported you in your endeavors. But none of that was returned to me. You don't... Talk to people you love like that. That's just something you never understood. You also didn't see me. I worked hard for us, but nothing was ever good enough. Somehow I was a bitch ass during the recession of 2008 because I couldn't find a job, but you still never had to pay all the bills in the house damn near broke my back and you couldn't have cared less. I accidentally drank bleach once, and you just stared at me like you were hoping it might kill me. You have one of the biggest hearts of anyone, but you don't know how to open it. You took my love, stomped on it, spit on it, and threw it away, and I, like a fool still showed you love and compassion. Well, now I'm through. I'm not giving you any more of my understanding and compassion. Dare say you don't deserve it. Don't try being nice to me when it's convenient for you. I don't give a shit what you think or feel or want anymore. You are nothing to me. You took away my family without a thought. You made sure my son would never speak to me again, and I know you're happy about that. And that is sickening to me. You've got a perverted way of turning this around and making it all my fault and you know deep down inside you didn't come close to showing me the love that I showed you. I should have left you the second time you verbally abused me, but I stayed because I loved you and now I can't even get you to talk to me. Well, if that's the way you want it, so be it. I'm letting you go. I will no longer try and make excuses for you or try to understand why you would abuse the person who vowed to love you above all others. There's no excuse for abusing someone who wouldn't even look at another woman because you were every woman in the world to me. I just can no longer have you occupying space in my heart or my mind. You are now just another abuser who will probably spend the rest of your life in and out of relationships because you don't understand What it means to appreciate and return the love that you are given. And that's pretty sad. But I don't really give a shit anymore. You've made your bed and you must lie in it. You said you didn't want to end up like your mom. But that's exactly what's going to happen. You will be alone because that's exactly what you are creating for yourself, and I can't think of a nicer person for this to happen to. Love your former honey. Hello, my name is Henry Tran, and I'm the reader for Dear Former Honey.
0: This next letter deals with the subject matter of death, queer identity, and toxic relationships. It is 4 minutes and 37 seconds if you wish to skip ahead.
3: To my younger self, what's up? Just checking in to see how your 20s are going. I remember it well. The high highs, the low lows, thinking the world would end just because I couldn't get what I want, who I want. Nobody appreciated me. blah, 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 blah. It will get better. Wait, <laughs> that's a load of crap. It's always challenging. As my mother, you remember Phyllis, once scolded, what are you so damn happy about? There's always something waiting around the corner to kick you in the head. You'll see it's true when you get to my age. So take those moments of joy and love. There's not many, sorry to say, but take them and be in that moment cuz they don't last. Ooh, you'll stop worrying so much. Mm, or maybe you won't. But you'll look at life with a little sarcastic humor. That'll get you through it. Your wit You're biting no-nonsense wit. Those you encounter on your journey through life won't always be receptive. Maybe even put off by it. Especially when you move to Canada and try that New York banter with Canadian gay men. (laughs) Oh, you know you're gay, right? Those girls you date. Yeah, yeah, you're just trying to be normal. But you're not and they know it, and the universe knows. <laughs> Hell, blind dogs know. So just give into it and have fun. Oh. And I guess the Canada New York thing should have come with a spoiler alert. I'll try to slow down. It does get better when you're 34. <laughs> you know that Catholic syndrome? Well, you didn't get crucified after all. And you can still hang out with all guys. You'll know what a fool you were in your 20s. A fool having a great time, but a fool. Okay. I, what I wanted to warn you about are the aliens. When you're 50 or so, you'll notice they're around. They move things. You'll be certain that you put your keys or, or cell phone on the shelf by the door. Oh, Right. You don't know about cellular yet or the internet. Oops, spoiler alert. (laughs) It all fits in your hand and you can take it anywhere. You can get cyberstalked by people you don't even know. But I digress. Don't think you're losing your mind. Space aliens beam these things up for a period of time while you're cussing and checking every pocket, every drawer until they're done examining them. And then they put them right back where you know you put them. It's a game. So don't rush off and get the Alzheimer's test or cuss out your partner. It's just them. And be happy they didn't select you for an anal probe. Although, as a gay man, (laughs) well, let's just leave you with that thought. Think of all the losers that they didn't bother, considered not worthy, too boring. You're lucky to lose your keys and find them again. It's a joke. Life is a joke. Sometimes a sick joke, but a joke. Enjoy what you can and try not to regret anything, because you'll have a lot to regret and it could consume you. You're going to die anyway, and no one will remember you after a while. So try to live a long time and maybe not go home with the cute drunk guy from the disco in St. Louis. Although it was pretty easy to get all the glass out of your back and the smell of gasoline is easily taken out of clothing with a little tomato juice. Anyway, that's all for now. Enjoy the therapy and crazy stalker boyfriends. Nobody fucks like crazy. Love me.
4: Dear Joker, do you remember Halloween 2019? I dressed as a fortune teller, handing out fistfuls of fortunes that I stole from the local Chinese restaurant that morning. I distinctly remember standing with my friends, eyeing my crush across the room, and midst my fantasy, I felt a gaze over my shoulder. I turned my eyes to the left and noticed a rather gruesome joker looking straight through me. I couldn't see his face, so I turned the other way. I drank and danced and smoked cigarettes outside with the ghouls. Six months later, I walked into a restaurant and looked straight ahead into your eyes. My breath was taken away. The ground beneath me had shifted. I found your Instagram, and while gawking at your sheer beauty, I found the Joker. I never told you. Did you realize our souls were drawn together before we even so much as spoke? I still believe in our destiny, although you didn't so much as open my recent message. But I saw you a couple weeks ago, and we both know this is meant to be. Hi, I'm Kelly Taylor and I'm the reader for the piece that you just heard. My first impression of this piece when I read it was it's very romantic, it's very serendipitous. I'm a hopeless romantic myself so I can definitely relate to the words in this piece and what the writer must have been feeling at the time of writing this. If I were the one that had received this letter, I would definitely try to reach out to this person and or try to reconnect because clearly there was something magical about this connection and both parties felt it.
1: This next letter includes the subject matter of being HIV positive, And the reflection section includes the subject matter of the stigmatization of gay men.
0: It also includes recollections of the 1980s AIDS epidemic. This includes death of of people from complications of HIV-AIDS, medical care, and suicide.
1: It is 23 minutes and 17 seconds long, if you wish to skip ahead.
5: Dear Lisa, It's been ages since we've seen or spoken to each other. Almost 25 years, by my best estimation. Like mine, I'm sure that your life has had many transitions in that intervening quarter of a century. Ups and downs, as they say. I hope overall that you are happy and that your triumphs have far outnumbered the inevitable setbacks that we all encounter along the way. My recollection is that we never really had any proper closure when I left my job. That oversight is all on me. After more than a decade in your employment, I was the one who up and quit one day without a proper goodbye. In retrospect, I think that not engaging with you back then may have been a deferred blessing, for me anyway. I know that any farewell at that time would have been fraught, on my end anyway, with an immature mix of misdirected blame and convoluted anger. Think Melanie Griffith as Tess McGill with all that teased-up hair and working girl. Yes, I much prefer this somewhat delayed opportunity to wrap things up with a more developed perspective, a more grown-up heart, and more hassle-free hair. These days, when I consider the experience that I had working for you, what I feel mostly is grateful. Mostly. There is, however, a little something else mixed in with all that gratitude. Something troublesome. A guilt. A burden that I have carried with me for the past 25 years. To be truthful, it is specifically this burden that has prompted me to reach out to you in this particular way after so many years. You see... I have a young son. In my life's many transitions since you and I parted ways, he is by far my greatest triumph. I knew at the very onset of fatherhood that I had been blessed with a divine generosity and I felt unworthy. Nevertheless, I instinctively reached out and wrapped my arms around the surprising purplish, squished, and squalling miracle. And in that moment, I sensed that God had tasked me with something formidable. In return for the sacred gift of a child, I accepted an implied celestial charge to become the best version of me that I could possibly envision. And to that end, I began to write. In addition to the goal of self-improvement, I have a couple of additional objectives that continue to push me through this often challenging process of reflective manuscription. First, I want my son to have a clear understanding of who his father is, and perhaps more critically, I pray that all of this chronicled psychological purging will somehow afford him a greater insight into the inherent complexities of human existence. So, I've been documenting for my son the story of my life's circumstances. Focusing principally on the specific events that I believe have most made me into the man that he calls Daddy. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And in my timeline, the timeline of my autobiographical regurgitation, I have come to a defining event that involves you. When I worked for you, I stole some money. $2,000 to be exact. After all of this time, it is impossible to accurately contextualize what it was that may have motivated me in that long-ago moment to take money that was not mine. I was struggling financially to be sure, but that was certainly not a unique (laughs) circumstance for me. I remember trying to ease my conscience by reasoning to myself that it was just a loan. And the truth is, I fully intended to return the money long before I ever moved on to another job. The reality, however, is that I did not. And before I had the opportunity to pay you back, Some of the disagreeable realities in our shared working environment got the better of me and I quit. At the time, I did confess the transgression to my partner, Will. He suggested a program-related remedy. By program, I mean Alcoholics Anonymous. I was not involved in AA directly, but Will was a few years sober and he was kind enough to offer up some big book counsel. Will called my attention to steps eight and nine of the program's 12-step directive. Uh, Eight, make a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. Nine, make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. It was specifically in step nine where Will helped me to carve out a Rather, a subjective loophole. He suggested that the caveats, whenever possible, except when to do so with injure, might offer me an option for some kind of circumventive atonement. He said that rather than adding to everyone's emotional stress by unburdening myself to you directly, I could make recompense by donating money or equitable good works to others in need. Arguably, Will may have been playing a little fast and loose with his interpretations of Bill W. and Dr. Bob's text. In his defense, Will loved me deeply. And who wants to stand by and watch someone that they care for slowly drown in a homemade pot of shame soup? As wobbly as it was, I held on to Will's theory of equitable recompense. To this day, however, every donation that I make, or good work that I do, is laced with some regret. And I'm never sure where I stand. There's always that little question in my soul, like, Yo, God, are we good yet? No matter how much I do, my conscience is not settled. And so, I come to you. To make amends. To strengthen my peace. In addition, I hope to help my son understand, or in the very least, consider these few things. To honor the place of right above wrong. To respect the potentially complex ramifications related to the choices that we make. And to accept that mistakes are inevitable. Also, I want to show him by example that we should not define ourselves or allow others to define us by our transgressions. Rather, we should strive to take responsibility for all that we do and then cherish the richness of the spiritual wisdom that is gained from embracing the flawed totality of who we are, the unique and glorious entirety of who God made us to be. And if we are to be defined, let it be by our willingness to forgive ourselves and to forgive each other. This lesson is not wholly new for me. I, I learned something similar when I was very young. Uh, there was my Catholic upbringing, of course, but much more educationally impactful than all of that dysfunctional dogma was an experience that I had around the age of six or seven. About the same age my son is now. I was at the beach with my best friend and our moms. And at some point in the day, my friend and I walked over to use the restrooms near the snack bar. While in the vicinity, we spied a very tempting gumball machine. Unfortunately, none of us had any change. So somehow we came up with a scheme. Perhaps the plan was inspired by my worship of I Love Lucy. We decided to tell the snack bar cashier that the gumball machine had stolen our money. And it worked like a charm. Without much question, the nice man popped open the cash register and handed us each a nickel. We went back to the machine, put the coins in the slot, turned the handle, and then scampered off across the beach with the ill-gotten gumballs clutched in our little hands. When we arrived back at the towel where our moms were lounging in the shade of two brightly colored umbrellas, we were immediately grilled about how we had gotten gumballs with no money. Duh. There was a little bit of nonsensical stammering on our parts before my friend and I pathetically caved and confessed the whole mischievous madcap caper. Our mothers demanded that we march back to the snack bar, apologize to the gullible cashier, and give him back the gumballs. Let me tell you, that was a long, slow walk on some hot summer sand. We had explained what we had done, and handed back the gumballs. The man was very gracious, but we were humiliated nonetheless. My lesson in honesty was well learned that day at the beach, and the harsh but well-intended guidance that I received stayed with me, unfailingly, until that one moment of weakness many years later when I was working for you. I am so very sorry. Enclosed with this letter is the money that I wrongfully took. I am giving it back. A $2,000 gumball. Cue the humiliation, and I will keep with me a priceless lesson relearned. My wish is that this money, along with the sincerity of spirit with which it is returned, will somehow serve to strengthen a belief in you, in me, and in my son that there exists in all of us a basic human desire to do the right thing. Before I close, I would like to circle back around to grateful. You see, when I send this letter off to you, I'm hoping that the burden that I have carried Will somehow go with it and moving forward when I recall my time working for you all that I will feel is an immense gratitude free of guilt and shame and if that proves to be true I certainly do not want to give that gratitude short shrift. please know that when you hired me I was a young insecure cater waiter who was flunking out of college I was desperately trying to reconcile my dream of becoming an actor with the reality of being gay. Heap on top of that, the fact that I had recently tested positive for HIV. Working for you gave me a safe place to be day in and day out, while I struggled to manage all of those challenges. I mean, it was far from my dream career, and I... I confess that I have sometimes referred to that job as a kind of dead-in retail monotony. A job that I desperately clung to out of fear. The truth is I stayed working for you through the absolute worst years of the AIDS pandemic, largely because you offered medical insurance to your employees. And that was not an insignificant thing. You were running a small West Hollywood-based business, and you employed mostly homosexual men. Back then, health benefits were certainly not something that you were required to provide, but you did. You gave me and others a safe harbor when those were very hard to come by. And for that, I am forever and immeasurably grateful. Finally, just a little more gratitude food for thought. If I had not quit working for you when I did I I would not have enrolled in a sign language interpreter training program to try and jumpstart a new career and it was in that training program where I met a dynamic young woman who would someday ask me to father a child our life journeys right like Someone is playing a massive, cosmic pachinko machine. All of us simply plummeting haphazardly down through all these tiny pins, hoping for the best. Or perhaps there's something more deliberate at work, more intended. Maybe. I believe maybe, yes. In any case, thank the universe, thank God, and thank you. All my love and best wishes, Jim. Hi, I'm Buck Delaney, and that piece was Dear Lisa. So, as a young man in New York City during the 80s and the 90s, uh, I got to experience how much fun. New York was and how free it was to be a gay man and be open about it. But that was also when uh, the AIDS epidemic started showing up. I remember being on a um, the ferry to Fire Island and there was a guy with KS and he had spots all over him and people on the top deck were whispering about him. And I, I just felt sad because he obviously had been going out there for years and, you know, now he was a, someone to point out. And I ran a choral group in New York City and one of the first things we did for Christmas was we caroled at St. Vincent's, uh, which no longer exists, it's condos now. God forbid gay men should have a hospital in the West Village, but I digress. The it was so painful. I couldn't do it again. It was a just wards of rooms with people that just were forgotten. I mean there was no one there to visit them. And the nurses were great. They were trying to keep them cheery and the doctors that went through and we caroled from room to room because they couldn't, most of them couldn't leave their bed. And the ones that could were in some sort of delirium from, I don't know, the AZT or, I I don't know, the disease. Um, And my memory is that we spent, uh, after caroling, the nurses or hospital staff had set up a little party, Christmas party, which none of their relatives came to. And the few that could make it to the room, this one guy in a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt kept talking about Mickey Mouse and how he loved Disneyland. And that it was just so painful, but it made him so happy to stay and I stayed, but I'm sorry to say I never did it again. It was just too hard. And I watched people I knew get sick and die. I had a friend who committed suicide just days before he was to get on a plane and come live with me in Key West because GMHC had just shut everything down, all their hobbies, their lunches, their classes, their, you know, it was (sighs) and he had nothing to live for and he was in pain and I was trying to get him to come down. He was a great painter and he taught country-western line dancing and couples dancing and he was gonna paint and the day he was to come his son called me at the gym where I worked and told me what happened and then he asked me if I would fly back and sing because Buck, who I am call myself after, um, he always came to my concerts and he loved Copeland and he loved Simple Gifts. So in St. Luke's Church where I'd performed the last concert I sang alone without an accompanist and It was haunting and his, he had been married before. His three children, grown children, were in the front weeping. And it was just, it was just so hard. And in Key West 2, I had gone down to, from the club in South Beach to work, um, to redo this gym that was failing, and to experience Key West, and uh, to live there and but so my assistant manager told me one day I mean I couldn't have done anything without him he was just amazing Mark and uh, he told me that he couldn't come in one day because he was feeling really sick and I had never bothered to ask him and he said well I'm I'm I get sick sometimes because I can't afford medication and QS actually now has a program where you can get almost free medication Um, they're really good about it but I contacted the owner who in Miami Beach who was busy on his computer planning to break through the wall of his condo into the next condo which he had bought so he can put a grand piano which I don't even know if he played he was such a piece of beep So I informed him that Mark was sick. And he said, well, doesn't he have Medicare? I said, no, he works for you. And he's been working for you before me. And you should give him health insurance. And he said, why? And I said, because he's a gay man and you're a gay man. So stop worrying about breaking through the wall to expand your condo as you live alone. Because nobody can stand to be with you. I said, so... You know, get some money and get him a salary, first of all. He's been your assistant manager here for, I don't know, three years, four years. And you give him health insurance. I said, or I'm quitting. And I said, I will also make sure that everyone in the Gay, Key West Gay Business Guild knows that you're too cheap to buy health insurance for an HIV person. So I actually got health insurance out of that. I didn't have health insurance, so I got health insurance, too. And in Key West, I also met my best friend, one of my best friends, Alex, who was the British drag queen, and he was always sick. He had shingles, he had HIV, he had everything, but he loved his cocktails and he loved to make me laugh. And I couldn't live in Key West anymore, and I got a job in New York, got headhunted, and I went back to New York, and he was devastated. He said, darling, I keep taking to my bed. I didn't really know what that meant, and then I found out that he died. And that broke my heart because I left him. But to be fair, he was on the the circuit for uh, Key West and, you know, Cape Cod. Provincetown, so he would leave for a period of time to work up there. So I was left alone. So there, Alex. And I found out I was HIV when I got hit by a van and I broke my wrist and the fancy new David Geffen full floor, second floor of the GMHC building on West 24th. A lot of empty offices, a lot of empty cubicles, but... I was one of the first to be tested there and it was all funded by David Geffen and it was pretty amazing at the same time JMHC was going through uh, corruption which was reported in the papers New York Times and everything and had to have an acting director come in and but that's why all those programs were shut down and that's why my friend Buck later himself
0: Thank you for listening. the readers for today's episode in order were Janita Thesian, Henry Tran, Mason M, Kelly Taylor and Buck Delaney. hi there my name is Melly. And I'm the creator of If I'm Being Completely Honest. I just wanted to take a few minutes of your time to talk a little bit about the project. And I wanted to be honest (laughs) because I've tried my best to not be involved and allow myself to have other people work on this project while I'm behind the scenes because I'm scared. (laughs) I don't like showing my voice. I don't like to be the forefront of things. And this project allowed me to do it. And it allowed me to see that other people probably felt the same way. And that's why they wrote these letters. So thank you. Thank you for coming on this extraordinary experiment with me. I truly had no idea where it was going, what was gonna happen, I didn't even know who was going to send things in and the letters that would appear in this little Google form. And I'm so grateful to be the first have person to have read all of them. And I'm so grateful to have been able to share them with my friends and colleagues and for them to relate to in different unique ways. And I'm so thankful for the people that are listening that can further expand to other people and share to lay it all out there. To be brave enough to say the things you wanna say, that's a step into a different place that you probably didn't even think that you were going. And I'm sure that in a few years, you'll listen to this audio series and think, man, I wasn't the same person I was yesterday. And that's for a good thing. This is a benchmark in so many different ways. And I hope that we get to try it again. So I've left the Google form open. And if you're willing, and if you're honest, take a second, write a letter. You never know who's going to read it, and you never know who's going to hear it. Maybe your letter changed more lives than you think. Maybe the person who needed to hear it wasn't the person you would intended it for. So, I have one more question for you. Have you been honest today?